0: Good morning everybody, good morning everybody, good morning everybody, this thing on? Everybody could please take their seats, these will be turned up louder. dead. These guys are rowdy today. Hey, you know, Jim's here today, so everybody's rowdy. Uh, today's reading will be from Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. Now Yahweh visited Sarah. As he had said, and Yahweh did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah con- conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in in his old age. These are the very words of God. Blessed be the words of God.
1: I will attempt to not repeat the message of last week that John Weathersby gave, but we do have to do some background work before we get into this passage. A couple of things I am reading out of the LSB translation and as some of you that know me, there's a couple reasons why I have gone to the LSB. One of the bigger reasons is the fact that uh, I appreciate their participle translation better than even the NSB, which is my favorite. That is there. You will also find that in the Old Testament, uh, Lord is translated as Yahweh, which is the correct name uh, for the Lord, which I do appreciate that too. It can sound a little bit different to you if you're not used to that, but Yahweh is the proper name for the Lord. Uh, It is worthy of a conversation, not in or from the pulpit with regard to that translation at some point in the future. Nonetheless, you can trust that these are the words as spoken. Yahweh is the correct Hebrew translation for Lord that is found in the Old Testament. This uh, particular passage, this uh, birth of Isaac, uh, is important for a number of reasons, and before we get deeper into it, Let's talk about last week's message, and not the correct message that John gave, but a very uh, interesting little factoid that is in that particular scripture. As we will note uh, in verse 18 of chapter 20, it it says, For Yahweh had, or the Lord, had utterly shut all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It is interesting that we are talking about the wombs being shut in this particular household of this pagan king prior to talking about the birth of Isaac. It is somewhat even more interesting when we think about the words that he had said in verse 3 of chapter 20 when the Lord came to Abimelech in his dream. And it says there, and said to him, said to Abimelech, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now, as we look at that particular part of Scripture, we find, or we could think to ourselves, okay, so the Lord is going to kill him because of this Transgression he's done with this married woman, taking this married woman into his household. But man, I'll tell you what, it says in verse 18 that all the wombs of the household of his particular household were closed. There is a connection between those two things that is important before we talk about the birth of Isaac. I would propose to you that, that when he says that you are a dead man, it means that because of what you have done, Your entire line is dead because the wombs are closed in the household because of what you have done. There are no children being born in this household because of what you've done with Sarah. There is a illustrative, uh, uh, what the, the Lord by means of illustration is going to show something that is happening here. We know that in the ancient culture, and we are sometimes lost in this because we live in in a democratic republic where we vote for leaders. That is not the way, that is not normal, number one. It is not the way of the ancient world, number two. The ancient world was ruled by kings and emperors. And then the subsequent king or emperor would be from that same family. And the one after that would be from that same family, unless. Some violent act occurred to put somebody else in that place. It was all about lineage. It was all about raising up the next king or emperor, that this is the one who will take over for me. And the Lord said in verse three, You are a dead man. Not only you, but guess what? Everybody, there is no children being born in this in your household. Remember, it says in his household. It doesn't say in the land, it says in your household. In verse 18. So we see this picture where the Lord has miraculously worked that there is no procreation occurring in this land of Abimelech. And then when Abimelech repents, the ability to have children is restored in his land. And that's where we will catch some things as we come into this passage in Genesis chapter 21. The Lord has shown that he is the God of creation, even to this pagan land. Right? Uh the Lord in his creation doesn't just work towards those who believe in him, but he works in everything, in creation. The Lord is not, he is not a absentee watchmaker who just winds up creation and then goes off and does something else, but he is active in his creation. If you would turn to Psalm 135, 135 please, and you'll find these words, 135, starting somewhere around verse 6. Whatever the Lord, whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas, in all the deeps. The one who causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth, who makes lightning for lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Particularly in verse 7, we see that God does all these things. He doesn't set things into motion that these things would happen. It says that he does these things. He is the one who sends it forth. He's the one who causes it to occur. We want to remember that. He is the one who caused the wombs of the women in Abimelech's household to be closed, and he is the one who reopened them to have children. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory. That is, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature Notice how it continues after the comma, and upholds all things. Notice how it says all. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say a few. It says upholds all things by the word of his power. Further tells us about the nature of Jesus. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God does all these things. He upholds all these things. Electrons circle atoms because God causes it to happen. As R. C. Sproul has famously said, there is not an errant atom anywhere in the universe. There is not a maverick atom anywhere in the universe that is outside of God's control. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. uh, That famous passage where it says this for by him. All things were created by Jesus, by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. God does not take his creation and sit it in a terrarium and watch over it and see what happens. God is actively involved in his creation, actively involved when he closes the wombs of the women in Abimelech's household, and when he reopens them. Actively involved when he brings the flood upon the wicked and drowns them. We must not forget this. There is not a place in this planet where God is not active either allowing something to occur or causing something to occur. God is an active God. He is not absent. We must always remember that. And then, so now we come into this story of two senior citizens that a promise was made to. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. Now Yahweh, now the Lord, visited Sarah as he had said, and Yahweh did for Sarah as he had promised. Now I want you to note note that in these seven verses, God seven times is the actor. God is the actor seven times. He is the one that is causing things to occur, saying things will occur, commanding things to happen. Seven times in seven verses, the lord does these things in fact five of those times are in the first two verses where he's done that he visited sarah right on the heels of opening the wombs of the women that were in abimelech's household it says he visited sarah as he had said as he had promised this is the unfolding of the promise of god we consistently see this this Wrapped up are these folded pages throughout the scripture that we have, and we see that from 3:15 forward, he is opening one fold on these pa- on this paper, showing us more. He is opening one fold when Cain is when Cain kills Abel. Yet that fold is open when we see the line of Seth, where it's preserved. We see that fold opened when the flood comes, and he preserves eight people in a sailless and rudderless ship, right? We see more of this unfolded. We should not be questioning what God is doing because his promise is true, right? But what we should see is more is revealed every time as the story progresses. More of his redemptive plan is revealed as we get further and further in the scripture. And I think it was, it might have been her that told me this this week, or somebody else I remember saying this, you know, we see this. So if we look at the scripture, I apologize if I got that wrong, you know, the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. The four gospels point to Jesus that has come, and all the letters afterward points to the Jesus that's returning. It is unfolding with every turn of the page. We are seeing more and more revealed of God's character and his work in his creation. He is an active God, not a retired God. Right? I mean, this is the God that we we worship. The unfortunate part is that many people do not worship that God. They worship a small God of their own creation that fits into their little box of what can be done. What Sarah is finding out right now is that the small God that I thought he was is much larger than I could ever imagine. We're talking a 90 year old woman that's giving birth. Abraham's 100. Right? Ishmael was born to Abraham when he was 86. So we'll keep that in mind too that Ishmael will be about 14 or so when Isaac is born. But more on that later. The unfolding of the promise, the Childless will have a child. The barren will be fertile. It says in verse 2 So Sarah conceived. So the same God who enabled the earth to bring forth plants enabled Sarah to conceive. And it says, then, in she bore a son to Abraham in his old age. She's ninety; he's a hundred. Well past the normal age of childbirth. It just kind of percolates up in my mind right now when we when we see the the scene with uh, 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 what is it, Gideon? That we're getting rid of all the soldiers, right? We're going to get rid of all the soldiers. There's too many because if you have too many soldiers. People are going to think that you did this and not me. It's only when you have this tiny cadre of soldiers of 300 or so that, that the victory is won, right? When they come down from 30,000 or so. We see similar here. If it's not an old lady, and that's just what she is, she's old. Right? 90 years old. If she was 35 and suddenly became pregnant, well, people said, well, you know just wasn't the right time beforehand, right? If she was 42, the same thing. 45, same thing. But it almost gets to the point of where at 90 years old, there is no way this can possibly happen. But God. The unfolding of the promise. More of the paper is just opened up so we can see more and reveal more of what is being said. More of what is being told. Every turn of the page of the scripture tells us more and more about the creator God and what he is doing. That she bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoke to him. We would see it similarly in Greek. The If, if we were reading this in Greek, the, the the it would be that pleroma kairos. It was at the right time. There was no different time that could have happened. There wasn't three seconds before and 30 minutes later. It was at the right time this occurred. It wasn't God saying that there is this vast period of time that these things can occur. It was at a absolutely peculiar and particular time that this had to happen, and that's exactly when it happened. That's exactly when he did it. That's exactly what he chose to do to unfold the promise that was coming. It says in verse 3 then that, And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, who, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. There is absolutely, uh, in these passages, an absolute focus, so nobody misses what is being said, that it was born to him and his wife. We had this mistake uh, beforehand with Hagar, but I want everybody to know, God wants everybody to know through his word, that not only was this Isaac born to him, but it was also from his wife, who previously couldn't have children. This is what I have done. I am the Lord God, is what I am saying. This person bore to him, and they named him Isaac. The name which means he laughed. Turn with me back to Genesis 17. And look at verse 15, starting at verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, this is before we have the name change. as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, so her name is now changed. Verse 16, and I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. The blessing, the promise, the unfolding of the promise, as the pages are looked at, the words are said, (coughs) the unfolding of the promise that that she will have this child, she will be able to, she will be the mother of nations. And then 17, then Abraham fell on his face face and laughed. And said in his heart, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? It can't be. There's no way they're too old. Everybody knows. Listen, we would be remiss if we said that ancient people were not intelligent because they were. They were fully aware of, number one, how, uh, how birth occurs, and when it occurs, in the ages in which it occurs. This seems ridiculous, hence the laughing, but the promise is unfolding. They're saying more of that promise than she has the son, so rightfully so, they name him Isaac, which means he laughed. The promise, uh, the not only the promise of the blessing, but the promise of the seed that will come is there. The plan was always this birth of Isaac. We must remember that the seed of Christ, of Jesus Christ, will come through this line. Of all the other lines in the scripture, this is the one through which redemption will come. This is the focus line that it will occur turn with me if you would to Joshua chapter 24 Joshua chapter 24 verse 3 just a short verse there Joshua chapter 24 verse 3 then i took your father abraham from beyond the river remember we abraham is brought from paganism into belief in the triune god and led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac, the promise unfolding. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, a good reminder on the, the family tree, Matthew, who in the very beginning says this is the Genesis, is the direct translation, the Genesis, the beginning of Jesus Christ. Notice how it says in verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Genealogy is Genesis in Greek. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And notice there in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and so forth and so on. And if you're looking in your scripture there, the way mine is laid out, and, 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 as it goes down through there, a consistent and constant unfolding of the redemptive plan of the Lord through countless or countable generations coming, uh, coming to Jesus Christ. Coming to Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 7 tells us, nor are they all children, as as Paul's great exposition of who is and who is not, or who will or will not be found in the new kingdom, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That unfolding of the promise. In Hebrews 11, chapter 18, "It it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. The unfolding of the promise again. This is key for the redemptive plan of the Lord. Verse 4, back in Genesis chapter 21, verse 4, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. As God had commanded him. We remember that that is from Genesis chapter 17, verse 10 through 22, or excuse me, verse 10 through 12, where the sign of the covenant is given through circumcision. The sign of the covenant is given through circumcision, not the covenant. Circumcision is not the covenant. The physical outward action is not the covenant. It is a sign of the covenant. That blood covenant that is given there. It speaks to the covenant, but it is not the covenant itself. If we were to fast forward now to today, we do baptism as a sign of your belief. It is not the thing that is the vehicle for your belief, that gives you belief. It is the outward sign of the covenant. That's what we see here. That will come forward then when God rescues the Israelites out of slavery. Leviticus 12, verse 3. He says that on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin for that newborn son shall be circumcised. John chapter 7, verse 22. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision. Now notice this. Not because it is from Moses, but it is from the father, the patriarch. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. I can't stress enough that we must remember that it is just a sign, not the covenant itself. Many problems came into the New Testament because of this particular sign. We would remember the Galatian heresy that you'll find spoken about, where people said that to be a Christian, you must become a Jew first, and then you can become a Christian. You must be circumcised before you can profess Jesus. That's a heresy. It's not true. It's not what God says. We remember then, too, that the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, tells us how they spoke about what should happen with the Gentile believers. Should they become these outward signs of Judaism before they are led into the church? And the answer is no. It is not. Verse 5 in Acts chapter 15 says, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. These are believing in Christ, said, It is necessary to circumcise them to direct them to observe the law of Moses the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. That by the mouth of the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, he knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us had nothing to do with circumcision. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also. So the reason I belabor that point is don't look at that physical outward sign as our faith. That is not the covenant. To have circumcision, to have baptism, to take part in communion is just an outward sign. It does not give you anything. The heart change has come first. Those are just outward signs. We were going to do communion today. Outward sign of what we believe in the in the God we are in communion with, and the other believers we're in communion with, in unity with, right? Moses, or excuse me, Abraham here, as the Lord had said, he is giving the sign of the covenant. This is the sign of the redemptive plan that is going through. He has Isaac circumcised there on, as was required by the law, or by, required by God's instruction. And then it says in verse 5, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A reminder, he is a 100-year-old man. This is all God's work, opening the womb, allowing children to be born at this great age. Sarah 90, another testimony to the Lord's sovereignty, to God's sovereignty. A reminder that God can do as he desires to glorify himself in the creation. Turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 4, verse 19 for just a moment as we look at that. If we start in verse 17, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him who believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, that's Abraham, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so, so shall your seed be, 19. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also. To do. I think sometimes that we forget that God is able to do the things he says he will do. The unfolding of that promise, this same God is the one who brings, who causes the earth to bring forth plants. He is the same God who creates flocks of birds in flight, schools of fish swimming. And that silly question that we've all been asked in biology class in high school, which came first, the chicken or the egg? It was the chicken. Because he created them fully formed. This is what God does. This is what God does in with Sarah and Abraham. He said he would do it, and he does it. No wonder as she's holding that child, Isaac, in her arms that she probably laughs when she considers what God has done, how foolish they might have looked denying what God could do. It is a surprise above all surprises that glorifies the God who glorifies himself. I'm not going to read them, but I would ask you to note in your notes Isaiah 49, 21 and Isaiah 66, 8. You would go and look at those when you get the opportunity to. And now we come here, uh, and it says in verse 6 and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. In verse 7, and she said, Who. Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would have that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I want you to consider, and we'll talk about this next week. There's a whole lot going on here with the birth of Isaac to a 90-year-old lady. It is not just her womb who has been prepared, but it is the entirety of herself that has been prepared. It is the strength that God will give her to wean a child, to raise a child at 90 years old. This is the God who brings the dead to life. This is the God who makes the impossible possible. Not only the impossible possible, but the impossible sure and true what he does and what he demonstrates here. We hear this story and we might feel distant from it because of all the millennia that have passed since it occurred. We would be wrong to look at this story and bring it to ourselves and say, This is all about having children in your old age because that's not what it's about. This is about God's redemptive plan solely right at the apex of the story. This is all that it's about. God said he would do and God does what he says he will do. God is a God of human impossibilities. God is a God who shocks the sensibilities of us. Because just as he opened, just as he could open the closed wombs of Abimelech's household, he could open the closed womb of Sarah and bring life forth. If we are found in Christ, we are part of that same miraculous work that God has done. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 tells us this, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, Heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. Therefore, we can find hope in this story that God has took what was previously dead and barren and made it alive to flirt. What was dead and barren and made it alive to flirt. When he took the person that couldn't possibly believe in Jesus, and make them believe in Jesus. The person that hated God and now believes in God and trusts in God. That's where we find hope. We may laugh and think that it cannot be, as Sarah and Abraham did. Yet God is the God of life and new life. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. we say it all the time. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will tell you right now, I am 100% correct on this. With God's word, it does—it it is not neutral by any stretch of the imagination. God's word is not neutral. You hear God's word, and you're either uplifted and emboldened and enlivened and redeemed, or your heart is becoming harder and harder against God's word. You hate God's word if you are not found in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. I've seen it too many times, and God's words testify to the same thing. It does not go out neutral. It will either harden you or enliven you. And you must examine yourself as you hear these words, what it is doing in your own heart. Is your heart the fertile ground that God has made it to grow and to trust in him? Or are you becoming more and more, are you more and more hating God because of his word? in the truth of the gives, You must examine yourself. It's what the word does. It does not go out and come back void. It does one of two things. It either redeems or condemns. That's what God's word, uh, God, what God's word does. The message for you that are found in Christ, Jesus, this is good news. I see the story of Sarah and I am emboldened. But God, dot, 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 what's he doing next? It's crazy. I would have never believed that I would ever become a believer like that. It is a portent when we see what has happened here with Sarah of the coming of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the unfolding as we move page after page after page, even through the Levitical laws, even through the the family trees and stuff. We say, what is this for? It is unfolding of the redemptive story that is coming. It is the unfolding of the Jesus who, who... the prophets longed to know when he was going to come. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, 11, 12. Right? If you're a believer, you find great hope and joy and laughter yourselves in this story. If you're not a believer, you must come to Christ. You must come to Christ. There is no other way. We see here a line was promised and it would come true even the face of human impossibility. We look at what God has done, and we see what he can do, and then we see it portrayed publicly in Christ Jesus. We know that God has taken the impossible, and he has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, that he has taken the impossible, and the son willingly was slain on the cross. Willingly slain on the cross, that ransom for our sin has been paid. That promise has unfolded, and we see the promise in Jesus Christ and him risen. We know that the Son, Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. We know as a believer that our stone, our previously stoned hearts, have been in flesh. we know that like those that were there at peter's sermon at pentecost on acts chapter 2 verse 38 that their hearts were pierced and ours were too when we heard for the first time because of that work we can know believe and confess Jesus as our only lord and savior that salvation through that through his sacrifice washing over us changing us Man could never save himself, but God opened a closed womb. But God rescued a nation through a parted sea. But God, own son, nailed to a cross, suffering his wrath for us. But God... Jesus rose again on the third day and sits on the throne himself, interceding, entreating for you and your salvation. So, when we look at that story of Sarah in the barren womb, we should look at it with hope. We should laugh in a respectful way when we think about our own salvation. We should tell others when we can, when we have the strength, when we have the courage to do so. Listen to those words of courage that we get to tell them about what God has done, and bring them to the cross, the face of the cross. But God, let's pray. Voice and heavenly Father, thank you for the, this words, for your words of, of of Sarah and Abraham through the promise that has been revealed in. In, in Isaac, that, that continuing redemptive line, we ask that we consider this this message, this narrative, this that has been given to us, We that we might see it and smile with enjoyment knowing that it has been completed in the Son, that Tetelestai, that all the work is done, no more work to be done for us, that we can trust in our Savior, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, that we more resemble him in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.